You're listening to Just, stories about the people working to build thriving communities rooted in justice. I'm Jess Averhart, co-founder of Black Wall Street Homecoming. And I'm Rob Shields, executive director of the ReCity Network. All right, look, so here's why we're here. We're here to get proximate. We're here to listen. We're here to process. And we're here to help you process. But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to be preachy because we don't have all the answers and we will never make you feel like an outsider. Keeping with the theme of sharing, we always want to acknowledge the whole person and that starts with our personal Personal check-in. Let's do it. And we're back. And we're back. It feels like it's been a little while, but it really hasn't. No, I mean, a couple of weeks feels like a lifetime. Not talking to my friend. It does. It does. You know what? I, yeah, I need, I'm like really looking forward to catching up and hearing what's new in your life. I've got some updates too. I feel like our personal check-in time today, we're going to raise the bar on ourselves. Boy, there's no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> well, I'll just say for myself, I have something interesting and because the pandemic has just kind of been one long day. Like it's just yeah. been 14 months of just breathing. So <laughs> I've got an anomaly in mind, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to, I'm going to make our audience Sit Wait back and be patient. So yeah. start. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna tease it out and then, and then make it. I'll do the warm up back to your big. Uh, oh, that makes me sound like a huge narcissist right there. That's it's like no, no, no. <laughs> it's anticipation. It's like cliffhanger stuff. Your life is usually it's so much more eventful. It feels like so that's why I'm like, hey, I think I can finally compete with Jess a little bit. We got we we're like we both have stuff going on. Tell us, friend, what what is changed since the last time we talked latest greatest okay so i first of all so many things i think i've been outside a lot and i've been seeing people in person having Isn't like it amazing having a beer with folks just walking downtown i said let's grab ice cream to somebody the other day i mean it's just like i haven't said those things in real life and meant it in a long time, long time. you and i got together you and i got to meet together and hang out for the I first know. time I know, and we almost funny. forgot we almost forgot we were meeting in person remember that we sat across the table from one another and actually saw each other breathing in and out it was fantastic <laughs> so i'm really enjoying that it is bringing me back to life so i'm happy there our listeners may hear uh, me talking I, I was saying to rob earlier that i have to do this check-in because i have a little bit of a lisp now when i talk because i've now week five into invisalign and I'm be straightening these lower teeth. They're looking a little T-Rex-ish. So I had to get those straightened out. T-Rex-ish. And that's yeah, a, that's a and it's not easy. But the one kind of fun thing is the lisp. I sort of like it. I like it. I like it's cute. So, <laughs> so that's that. And then by the time that this airs, more than likely will be the week of, because it's in two weeks, week of or the week after my son will be successfully moved in at Florida Atlantic. Whoa. So. Big moves. Mm-hmm. Lots going on. All really good stuff. Really excited. I'm sitting in Raleigh recording this. We kind of are mobile still, and I'm, it's gorgeous. I'm right outside on the road, so I'm going to be muting on and off just because our listeners need to know all the details of our lives, don't they, Rob? Yeah, that's right. Give them the full immersive experience. That's what they signed up for. That's what they signed up for. Give the people what they want. Yeah. So on that very doldrum note of where I'm actually located and in what city and all of the all of that, let's kick it over to you so you can set the tone with your big COVID update. I may have hyped this up too much. Yeah, this is this. I, I should have been a more subtle, but that's just. No, not, I'm excited. I really it's am. It's not, been I'm so good long. Anything you say so, will be a good update. Really. So you're gonna. You're gonna. You're probably. I don't know how, what your reaction is going to be to this. I have. I have no idea. But we finally. We broke down. I finally broke down and said yes to a dog 
So we got a puppy. <gasps> that is big news. Really? Yes. I was the one. I don't think we ever talked about this, but I was the one in my family. Every, there's always one. There's always one person that's like, I, no. I don't know if that's a good idea. And I was like, man, we need to wait till, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking we need to wait till, but maybe until maybe our youngest was maybe out of diapers, something. Take care of it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I did. I couldn't make it to whatever goal I had for myself. And it's one of those things, I feel like cars or there's a lot of things in life where like when you start browsing or talking about it, it can happen really fast. And that's what happened for us with the dog. It felt like I broke down and like 48 hours later, there was an animal in our house. Mm -hmm. So now we have a little 12 week old puppy chewing on stuff and doing all the things. So everybody that's listening is like, just better ask all the questions. So this is my job. So what kind of dog did you get? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Important is it details. A is we, it a we got it. We bought it from, I guess, a farm, like a place that breeds dogs. It's a foxhound, oh. which is kind of cool. For those of you that are maybe on the upper end of the millennial, early end of the Gen Xers, you know, that movie, that cartoon, that Disney movie, The Fox and the Hound. They don't know. I mean, it's, kind of, it's a sad movie. I don't know if I'd recommend it, but that's how I knew. That's the only way I knew of what a foxhound was. I just knew I always liked black and brown dogs. It's a cute, it's one with the really long, big old ears, real Adorable. droopy ears. So he's a cutie. We named him Shep. That's the name we hear being yelled around our house about a hundred times a day now. It feels like Napoleon complex. Did you name him Shep so that he could channel his inner shepherd? Maybe. We actually always like that name for a kid. And but because our last name starts with SH, we thought that would just be too alliterative. So we uh, we said, hey, we're not going to use this name. Let's use it on a dog because he doesn't need to go by his last name. I love it. It's great. It's a great yeah. story. I um, only regret it about 90 percent right now because gosh, friend. puppies are a lot of work. You know what? He's 12 weeks old, though. So uh, when I had Roscoe at that age, I regretted every second of the day. I did. Yeah, it's. And then when Tilly was sleeping and then the sleep is, and this is probably the 10% you enjoy is when Shep is asleep and so yeah. cute and all this stuff. But I know it's going to be good. Our kids love it. I did it for the kids. I didn't do it because it makes my life easier. I did it because I knew it, it would bring a lot of joy to our kids and that's what's happening. So overall, I feel like it was a good dad move. So I'm just going to. That's gonna, all that matters. Yeah. You've got go. lots of points for a long time. I hope you have your list of chores set up for these kids to do. Because I'm all working you on it. Just be like, don't forget about Shep. They're already, they're, 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 <laughs> their discipline is already starting to fade, but it's, that's not a good sign. Anyway. Great update. I love that. And yep, I'm excited a lot of, about today and I'm excited, really excited about our guest. Our bio is amazing. So I'm really excited. I am too. I am too. I'm thrilled for this. Our guest today, I think this conversation is, is one that is going to be, I think, long overdue for us because this is a part of what I think is so critical in conversations around justice that we haven't really leaned into the way that we're going to do today. And so I, I think it's going to be a privilege and honor. We're excited. Let me go ahead and welcome our guest on and find out whether they're an animal lover or they're like me. Sonia Wang, are you here? Can you hear us? Hello, I am. Thanks for hey. having me. We're glad you're here, friend. We're going to go ahead and just Thank turn the mic you. over to you. Is there anything that you want to respond to directly? Do you have any strong opinions on Invisalign, puppies, being outdoors? There's so much to be able to engage with right now. What are all your thoughts? Well, I think it takes, first of all, I want to commend you, Jess, because it takes bravery to to broach Invisalign in our adult years. And I've been alongside my friend with that journey during the pandemic and 
it's yeah. discipline. It's not for the weary. So I feel you. Thank you. So that is, yeah. yeah. Every week you have to change out the trays with people who know it and your mouth yeah. is constantly sore. Yeah. And figure out what your snacks to eat, not to eat, taking it in, leaving it out, like all of that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for so, seeing me. I do. I do. I, I Yes. I affirm you in that choice and I commend you and, and congrats on the dog. Yeah. So I, I love dogs. I love animals, but I'm allergic to cats. So that doesn't fare well at the house. But dogs are a lot of responsibility. They are. I'm not going to say it's more so, brave than getting a Vizaline. I'm just going to hint that it is. That's all. <laughs> that's all I'm going to do. That's <laughs> But we all make our choices. And so in our choices, there's responsibility and there's bravery that we embrace. And so... Good on you, Ralph, for embracing that and being brave it. and getting. I, love, I feel like I'm acting like a puppy right now where I'm like, hey, give me the attention. Can you tell the puppy's rubbing off of me, Jess? Or is this, so don't answer that question. I don't want you, I don't want to know whether that's how I always am or not. So we're just going to, we're just going to move on. Keep moving. Uh, yeah, keep moving. She's giving me like the, hey, we're starting to air these videos now. So Jess and I, all of our subtle cues that we usually get to each other, they're going to be publicized. So we're going to have to find another way. We're going to have to like be texting offline is the only way that we can safely communicate with each other. So, Sonia, we're so excited to have you on today. I'm going to read off your bio. For those of you who don't know, there's actually a little bit of throwback callback to uh, a previous episode, which is pretty neat. But Sonia is the founding member of New Community Covenant Church. So some of you may recognize that church name from one of our previous guests, David Swanson, who was on, who, who serves as the lead pastor. So she has served on the leadership team there as a chairperson and serves as many different ways, more recently as a community group leader. And while Gandhi's call to be the change has been with her on her journey as an educator, more recently, Sonia draws from James Baldwin's important reminder that the world changes according to the way people see it. And if you can alter, even by a millimeter, the way people look at reality, then you can change the world, which I think is a really powerful setup for today's conversation. And so she also serves as the executive director of New Community Outreach, which is a community-based nonprofit organization committed to the healing, reconciliation, and building up of Chicago's greater Bronzeville youth and community through restorative justice. We love that term around here. We talk about it all the time. Excited to have you expand on it. So in her work, Sonia works collaboratively with residents and organizations of the South Side of Chicago to mitigate the impact and reduce the causes of physical and emotional trauma and raise the opportunities for community equity and individual flourishing. They envision a more just society where young people and communities have increased access to the tools and resources to heal from individual and community trauma, as well as increased opportunity to pursue growth, development, justice, and equity. Okay. Good work right there. There's there's a lot of good work happening, and we're really excited to lean into this. Having that conversation with David, which was really impactful. For those of you who guys who have not heard that episode, I'd encourage everybody to go back and listen. But this is going to be very much a parallel conversation, right? So that episode was around kind of justice and the white church and the way that David, your pastor, is leaning in in really unique ways to lead out in that conversation locally in Chicago and even nationally. But I think that's how I found out about your work, which is really was inspiring, made me lean in. I started doing my homework. I became an instant fan. Sonia, you know, I, I emailed you like instantly right after that conversation. I was like, I've got to know more. And so we hopped on Zoom and it was just such a privilege to hear some of your story. And I, I, I didn't want to keep that to myself. I knew our listeners could really benefit from hearing more about you, what drives you in your work and the important role of addressing trauma 
when you talk about pairing that with justice work. And so we're going to turn the microphone over to you and just maybe just lead off, Sonia, for our listeners and tell us there's so much more than what we just read. Highlight and amplify a little bit more of your story and what led you to the work that you're doing. Yeah, of course. Well, first and foremost, I just, anytime I enter into a space, I just want to appreciate you all for inviting me, allowing me to be in this space with you. I recognize that I'm coming into your space. And so I have a lot of gratitude for that. And so just want to put out the appreciations first and foremost. And so, again, thank you so much for even asking about my story. I think stories are so important. It's part of the work that I get to do. So my past really is grounded in the work of education. And so I was a teacher, a middle school teacher, for some time on the south side of Chicago in the neighborhoods of West Englewood and the Woodlawn. And then I had the opportunity to step into some leadership positions and was an administrator, um, including a principal at a middle school for about seven years before feeling the call to take some time off. And in that very intentional sabbatical, so I, I worked on the south side of Chicago and one of the, let me just talk about that really briefly because that really marks a lot of where I am now and the work that I get to do right now. I taught English, I got to lead a middle school and our young people were just continuously just phenomenal, phenomenal people, right? People with remarkable stories, remarkable capacity and what we continue to hope for is how do we get opportunities to really allow them to flourish in ways that just aren't always afforded, right? And the reality is that resources are distributed differently. And I, I felt that as a principal in a way that differently from the way I felt that as a teacher. And what does it look like to really be intentional and thoughtful about making sure that as educators, we're allowing for windows and mirrors, right? So how do we allow our young people to see themselves in their learning and growth process, right? And how do we allow our young people to see beyond what they are immediately within, right? And I think that's, as a youth worker, whatever kind of space you're in, I think that's a really important charge that we have. Restorative justice has always been, it started becoming this like buzz phrase, right? Around like, ooh, this is the way to go about mending relationships. And it became a tool for conflict mediation, conflict resolution, all that. And it sounded, yeah, really important and really great. So then fast forward to having this time off, my faith played a big role in going into education. also played a big role in taking that time off. And I didn't anticipate going back to work until later on. So that sabbatical came in summer of 2019. And so COVID happened while I was on my sabbatical. And an opportunity came up with New Community Outreach, which is the nonprofit that was born out of the Ministry of New Community Covenant Church. And it's an organization that's really grounded and rooted in the community and is really about what does it mean to think about, and I'm just going to use RJ for short when I talk about sort of justice, and when things just kind of doors open and things click, that's how I came into this position. And in the past year, a little over a year that I've been in this position leading NCO, New Community Outreach, what I've had the opportunity to do is understand what restorative justice looks like, not in the sense in a much broader sense, in the sense of what does it mean to develop an ecosystem or approach restorative justice as a lifestyle and really seep into human interactions and engagement that then allows for a much more robust and nourishing way of living, which is a little different from the way in which we approached RJ in a school space when I was, from my experience. And if I were to be back in a school down the road, 
the way I would want to bring RJ into that school context would look remarkably different because of my learning experience in this role, the people that I have had the privilege to engage with, to learn from, and to serve. And so, yeah, so that's a little bit. That's a great great sort of origin story and leads into this gap that I think we found ourselves in for the Just podcast. It's sort of this like, I didn't even realize it when Rob introduced your work, Sonia, and he sent me an email about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, we haven't talked about this intersectionality around young people, what they may have been facing, what they face in general, but then through COVID, the trauma through COVID, this idea of justice and how to, that intersectionality. So Rob reminds me that we're getting close to our 50th episode, which is a great milestone for us. We're getting old. Um, we're getting old. We're getting old. We're, we're seasoned, sir. We're seasoned. <laughs> That's all. But but that's awesome because the focus that we've had from the very beginning when we when we developed this on a whiteboard was that we would center this podcast around this idea of justice, hence the name and, and those that type of thing. But as you as we think about it, we haven't really we haven't dug deep into the work that you do, Sonia. So I'm really want our listeners to think about this and really learn from you today. So let's talk about this. We just find ourselves on the other side, I guess we can say that now with some kind of certainty, sort of the other side of COVID. It has been a traumatic year. It's been especially traumatic, I think, for our youth. I'm constantly concerned about our communities and our young people who've had to navigate this with families and neighbors. But so tell us, help our listeners understand that intersectionality in general, and specifically the young people that you find yourself serving day to day. Yeah, so I think I think it's important to for me to share when I talk about trauma, when I talk about justice, right, what those words mean. Because oftentimes the words become thrown around. And so when I when we talk about trauma at NCO, we recognize that there are distressing and disturbing experiences that people have endured, right? And some of that, it's out of our control almost always. And our response to that distressing or disturbing experience is trauma. I think it's really important to identify that trauma is in the form of, it's a physical form. Hmm. It can be emotional. It's mind, body, and soul. Spiritual, it's really important that we don't relegate it just to our mind, this Mm. emotional element. It's not just a mental health issue. There are neurological things. There are physical, muscular responses. All of that we have to recognize. So then I'm going to pause, put that to a shelf and think about what justice is. And to us, when when we think about the pursuit of justice, we think about systems and structures that are set up where all people are provided with opportunities to flourish. And so I'm going to be bold here and say the whole like notion of there's a lot of talk about equality and equity and just like if there's true justice, that whole conversation and debate around equity and equality really should dissipate because what we see is a peace that comes with true justice. Now, if we bring those two together, when there's traumatic experiences, when we experience trauma, when there's no justice, you begin to see how those two lived experiences intersect. When we have not been treating people with the same sort of just basic human rights, it's inevitable that there's going to be distress, that things are going to be disturbing. When we're not afforded certain things because of inequities, when students can't travel from A to B, and it's not even like a full mile or two miles, There's something distressing about that. 
whether there was a specific incident or not, to have that understanding becomes traumatic. But on top of that, and to bring it to the realities of what we've experienced the past year, I mean, we've read about it. We, some of us have firsthand experience. Just the ways in which COVID-19, that pandemic, the pandemic of racism, the pandemic of gun violence. I mean, with students being at home, young people, we've heard about the increased incidence of abuse. Like, there's a lot of compounded ways that our students, our young people have experienced this past year and that we have to recognize and have to think about what does it then mean to support, to be alongside, to provide safe spaces so that in the midst of that, in the midst of our lived reality, we still empower, mm. we heal, mm. and we are able That's to good. move forward. So, Sonia, I'd love for you to unpack a little bit the day-to-day of what this looks like on a practical level for our listeners, right? Because these are huge issues and very layered concepts that you're laying out, right? Not only, I mean, we've been trying our best for the last two years to unpack the term restorative justice for people. You're introducing not only a new term and like, what does it look like to come alongside people who've experienced trauma, of which that that group is so much larger, you know, today or compounded today than it was this time last year. You're working with young people who are experiencing, or maybe are victims of injustice and trauma, and that really painful combination. What is that? When you show up to work every day, walk us through a day in the life of. What does that look like? Because I think it's important for our listeners, for us to hear these words. It sometimes can feel paralyzing of, oh, ugh, like this is complicated. I'm just going to throw my hands up and be like, I don't know. But that's not what you've done. You haven't done that. You've actually rolled up your sleeves and leaned in to come alongside young people in your community in ways that are really having an impact. And so just give us a little bit of a sneak peek, uh, a day in the life of what it looks like to do the work that you're doing through New Community Outreach. Yeah, so... I think what I want to talk about, rather than going into like, here are our programs, here are the events, it's not about that. Those things are important, and I'm really proud and excited about the work we get to do. I really think it's about mindset and posture. So trauma-informed care, which is kind of a, a term that's been out there, and I think it's important, but I don't think it can live without emphasis on healing-centered work. They, they have to go hand in. Because if we just think about trauma-formed care, what are we focusing on? We're focusing on those distressed and disturbed incidents. And that is not who our young people are. It doesn't make who they are. Here's what makes who they are. Their laughter, their talents, their quirks their love for K-pop, their their love for like fashion or working at a nursing home and wanting to serve the elderly. That's what is what marks the strength, resilience and the beauty of our youth. And so when we talk about trauma informed care, it's about the person. And so it's about how do I cultivate, curate, create restorative spaces for that healing-centered work. Some of that is about relationship building. I mean, a lot of it is actually. (laughs) It's about being seen, seeing, knowing, and being willing to go that extra step, even when I'm feeling a little stretched. And also inviting them to do the same, for them to take that step in the relationships and, and being able to invite them to safe spaces. Let's look at having an asset-minded approach, right? What are your strengths? And then how do we cultivate that to to really then think about flourishing 
Now, does there need to be space to process and digest and to reflect? Absolutely. I think that's part of the thing that is often lost. We power through, right? When these really rough and hard and detrimental things, that traumatic experiences happen, that's a society. That's our culture. We shove, we move forward, we maintain busyness. We, in a lot of ways, we like put that on a pedestal and our kids pick up on that. But, but what does it look like when we take intentional beats to sit, to ground ourselves and say, let me think about how I am feeling. And so part of that work, so if I shift from posture to kind of approach, something that I have been trained in is circle keeping. And so, you know, you may have heard of healing circles, peace circles, but I am just like the biggest fan of circles because it's a very intentional approach to conversation in a space with other people in community. And I think that's important to know also, we're not doing this alone. We're not in our rooms in isolated spaces. We're doing this in community with one another, but, but we're thinking about both ourselves individually and we're thinking about community because that's just reality. My identity and our communal identity, it's always going to intersect. My trauma and my community's trauma probably also intersects. So in that same way, my healing and my community's healing intersects. And so those spaces and that approach to check in, to process, to think about how do we hear from each other, to contribute to one another, all of that are things that we want to be thinking about and creating space for. And I think I'll pause there. So thank you for that. Thank you for the way in which you framed the work. I am more than my trauma. Young people, I'm sure I'm just like, I am more than just my trauma here, right? I am a young person that wants, that is flourishing, that wants to flourish, that has, there's more to me than this. And when I think about the work that, that you do and that your peers are doing across the board, we think about adults who maybe haven't had a safe, nurturing space to process their own trauma. We then have adults who are trying to do this work, who also have trauma that they need to deal with, to look at through a real clear lens and process. The work that I do with women specifically, we talk about it, we use the word crucible moments to identify those moments in time where the traumatic incident or whatever occurred and that how important it is to look at it, to process it, to examine it, to learn the lessons so that you can have reconciliation and then bring it forward, those lessons so that you can change and be better tomorrow than you were today, that sort of thing. And so help us move away, not move away from our, the, the lens of young people, but when we think about the adults across the country and as we're doing this work, how would you... Talk about the importance of processing the trauma in healthy ways, regardless of your background, right? This isn't necessarily rooted in socioeconomics and race. This is people have traumatic events and they're trying to do really good work. How do they do that without processing it? And what would be, what were your recommendations or any thoughts around on the importance of doing that work? Yeah, I'm really glad you said that, Jess, that we've all experienced trauma, I was at a workshop a few years ago, and that statement was said, and, and the, the facilitator said, listen, I'm going to say something that's really controversial. Everyone has experienced trauma. 
and then there's silence in the room. And, and there are lots of different people in that space. I, I don't know everyone's stories in that space, but that statement I think is really powerful and important because I think oftentimes you, when you hear that word trauma or you hear like healing, you have a certain picture. And I think it's important that we confront that, right? Like we confront that and say, okay, who are you picturing? Now let's shift that. And I want you to just see yourself and recognize that if nothing else, the pandemic, COVID-19, that was a distressing and disturbing event because it was out of the norm. And that's what causes our bodies to get stiff, our minds to kind of like be a little berserk. So when it comes to the adults, the biggest thing I'll say, two things that come to mind is, I mean, I can I can just say yes, right? In terms of what you said, yes, they need there needs to be safe spaces for adults. I mean, for everyone, right? I think safe spaces are critical. And I think the beauty, when, when I get to keep circle, the thing about circle is that there's an equity in that circle. So while I'm keeping circle, I'm just as much of an active participant. Just because I am an adult with youth does not mean I suddenly have, a, there's a different power dynamic. And to me, that's the really beautiful thing about that, that space for me, because I'm processing, reflecting and healing alongside the youth. And I think that's equally important for all adults. I think this notion of recognizing that we are, we get stuck, trauma, PTSD, like whatever that whatever degree of that means that in some ways we are stuck. And so the question then is how do we get unstuck? And that looks a lot of different ways for a lot of people. For my own personal journey in moving through my trauma, it was really spending time in nature. It was really doing some intentional trauma unraveling work in therapy. It was being intentional about finding safe spaces that I was regularly part of. And, and I can only you know speak from my experience, but what I will say is what I would love to see, you know, and my hope in terms of something that for NCO that we've been talking about is how do we provide circle spaces, these safe restorative spaces for the adults in our community. And, and that is a dream of mine to be able to offer that and say, hey, this is just, you know, this is happening. And so show up and we're going to kind of process through it. I love that. Thank you. That's great. I'm going to use that actually. And, and I know Rob's got a question here, but I love, love, love. I also love circles and I find myself in them, although I don't know that we name them so explicitly. I just think that there's something to this. I want to explore a little bit deeper and may do that with you offline. I think this is really remarkable. Thank you for that. Yeah. Sonia, you, I just, I really appreciate you, you addressing the, the holistic nature of this because there's so many different threads at work here, but I think one of the things that maybe is new for this podcast and, and the conversations we've had to date is how much you've painted a picture of how critical it is to do the self-reflection work. Because we, we have our listener base, if you're listening to this podcast and you're still listening, it's very much a service-oriented bent, right? We got people that want to know what does it mean to go out and live a life of justice, to love their neighbor, love their community, that we don't need to... It's like they're not a, a balloon that we need to slap up and like get them motivated. They already have that motivation. I think they're seeing this as I got to be a continuous learner. And I think that what we're doing in this conversation that is new is that we're actually, you mentioned mirrors earlier. We're actually holding up a mirror to our audience for a second in this conversation and saying to the degree that you're going to be able to go and help others flourish you actually have to make sure you're doing the internal work 
to process the pain and the trauma that is in your life that you may not have held the space for or dealt with in healthy ways. And you disregarding that to focus and help others healing is actually a contradiction in terms because you're not going to be able to really help them flourish. You said something earlier about someone's trauma being connected and intersecting with their community's trauma and therefore their healing. I think that's almost want to take that statement and apply it to myself as someone who's in the nonprofit space, been, been there my whole career. I think we're really, people who are in that space are really bad at this, really bad at this, really bad at turning inward because we're always wanting to go and help others, but not really seeing how connected our healing is to their healing. Uh, and so I just want to say thank you for doing that. And I guess I want to want to shift the conversation a little bit, or I guess maybe go into a little bit deeper waters here. You talk about on your website, I love how you list the core values. I think everybody needs to do that. Every organization needs to say, hey, here's what we're about. Almost as a way to say, hold us accountable to say, these are the things we're about. And if you, we want you to know this so that you can see and hold us accountable to living these things out. But one of these terms is really interesting one. On your website, you named this term of Sankofa. Am I pronouncing that right? Sankofa? Okay. It's listed first of seven, which I think implies that it's important. And so I wanted to ask you to elaborate on this because the description you offer for this term, that I I didn't know what it meant, and I think our listeners will be new to it as well, or many of them, is it's saying that you build on the foundation of your community's history. And I'm like, I want you to speak more on that because I feel like I'm going to be like, preach, please. That is super important. I think we've been striving to do, I think, something similar here in in Durham with our work at at ReCity. So can you just unpack that a little bit more for our listeners? What does it mean to live out that term of Sankofa and to build on the foundation of your community's history when it comes to pursuing flourishing, addressing trauma and injustice? Yeah, so just a quick 30 seconds to just kind of unpack what Sankofa is, right? To me, just a, it's a metaphorical symbol, but it's also to me just a beautiful reminder of what it means to exist in life. So for for those of us who may not be as familiar, Sankofa is a symbol, like I said, it's used by the Akan people of Ghana. If you Google this, you'll see kind of a picture of a bird. Its head is turned backward, taking an egg from its back, right? But its body is pointed forwards. And so that expresses the importance of reaching back to knowledge gained in the past and bringing it into the present in order to make positive progress forward. So in that, just beautifully there, is this notion of past, present, future. The reason why that's such an integral part of of what we do is recognizing that work has been done and is being done. I know that there's innovation and there's creativity and all that, like, and I want to honor and recognize that, but we have to, we have to remember that there has been experiences, there has been trailblazing, and there has been work that has been done by people in the past. And particularly, I think it's important when you are intentional about a space or a community, right? And so for NCO, we have been called to really serve the greater Brownsville community in Chicago, which is a historically predominantly African-American, Black American community. So I am not Black. I don't identify as Black. I'm an Asian-American woman. So for this work, but also in my work in education, where I worked in predominantly African-American, Black American schools, right, 
it's so important that we, and I can't believe still in 2021, I say this with very like much gusto because I think it's important to say like, it's important not to be colorblind. (laughs) Somehow 20 years later, since when I first was in grad school for education, it's still a thing. It's still a thing that people are like, confused about, right? But it's important to recognize the space that we are entering and then what it means to then learn from, not just the past, but learn from people, making connection, collaborating, having partners, and to really understand what it means to partner and to to move forward alongside and to understand that we take a posture of lifelong learning. And even, even when we are facilitating work around restorative justice, that we're still learning and growing, and we understand where are the spaces and places where we need to ask others for teaching so that we can be robust and comprehensively productive and flourish. To do it any other way, to me, really misses the point of what it means to really think about full healing and progressing forward in a holistic manner. There's your answer, Rob Sankofa. I love it. Wow, that was, I got, I think we got more than we bargained for. That visual of the bird is powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I appreciate you unpacking it and giving its origins too. In the Black community, a lot of my peers, we think about Sankofa around economic justice and bringing people, I mean, in in general, but really there's a, a lot of my peers really use that as a motivation around closing the wealth gap. And, and the work that I do. So I also see it as very inspiring and I'm, re- I'm grateful to see that it's one of your values. That's really special. Let's talk about hope is also value, right? Amen for hope. Sometimes we do these talks and we do these podcasts and, it, and we always sort of end on a note. It, it, it inevitably comes back to the bright side of the work because you have to be inspired by the work that you do. And the young people that I'm sure they give you so much like strength and that they provide happiness and got, I mean, there's just a lot there that we, we have to go down into the work and then come back out through the hopefulness of why we do it. Mm. So talk to us about that. Like, why do you do this? Why do you personally find hope? Where do you personally find hope and why is hope so important in the work that you do day, day to day? I really believe in the goodness of people. So, I, you know, earlier I talked about justice and where the systems and structures are flawed and broken and marginalized people. I spend a lot of time thinking about this because I'm like, I hate systems. Systems suck, right? Like systems are what is oppressing people and we need to get rid of systems. But what, as I sat in that, I realized everything's a system, right? Humanity is a system. And that's maybe the one system that I, I really do have faith in. And, and that's where I draw hope. I draw hope in people's goodness. I, I do. And, and so this work that we do at NCO, it's soul work. It's not money work. It's not paperwork. It's, it's the work of human interactions. And to me, that's about like souls connecting. And I have hope that there's goodness in people. And so that's what keeps me going in terms of showing up at the garden you know, establishing partnerships with schools, community events, because there's goodness in people and people deserve goodness. Love that. Mm. So simple. Humanity, humanity as a system. Hello. Hello. Come on. That is a beautiful notion. And I just think that the idea of 
almost seeing it as neutral, right? This idea that, hey, you can you can hate on systems, but I think it can be used for evil or for good. And that's actually create ones that actually, like, like Joseph, like our last podcast guest, honestly, Jess, right? We're like, hey, we need to be able to create systems that allow for everybody to flourish. And so that it's not a inherently flawed concept. It's just that it has not been used for flourishing in, in much of our history. And so we got to learn from that history, like the bird, right? Looking back while our bodies are shaped forward, man. Whew. Sonia, are you sure you're not a preacher? Because I feel like you're given like a lot of these sticky analogies that are like, I mean, you're locked and loaded for like 10 sermons here. I don't, I mean, you're going to get Pastor David to run for his money. I'm going to, he's going to listen to this and chuckle along the way. He knows I'm right. You've gotten our, you've taken our listeners on a journey and I want to do this conversation justice. Sonia, thank you. This has been a powerful conversation and I want to empower our listeners with, we've called it historically a show up moment. What's just one thing, and there's another pun, right? What's just one thing that our audience can do to show up in their backyard? They may not, they're more than likely not in your backyard. They're probably in ours or who knows, they could be anywhere. We got a global following. There are people all, all across the world that listen to the Just Podcast, which is crazy. But if you could think of a way where people can show up where they are to apply this knowledge and this journey of this conversation in their communities? Like, let's take it from the 10,000 foot down to the ground level. What advice would you give them or next step would you encourage them to pursue? I have a just one thing with like a two bullet point. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. You got it. Just one thing. Humanize all interactions. Mm. But I want to caveat that and say, remember, you also interact with yourself. Love that. I'm just going to actually, you know, one bullet point. There you go. One thing, one, one caveat. Boom, yeah, one on I love things that are simple. I try to, over, I overcomplicate mm. everything. And so when I hear con- concise messaging, I'm just like, yes, that's it. That's it. There's so much there. Thank you. That was wow. beautiful. Well, Sonia, I really appreciate you again. Thank you for taking the time on behalf of our listeners. I know that you have, you've planted some seeds here that I really hope we all will lean in and ponder on and really reflect on the truth that I think that you have led us into this conversation. So appreciate the work that you're doing. And hey, before we let you go, how about bullet point, since you merge those into one, let's save the space for bullet point two. If people want to know more about your work, where can they go online to learn more about new community outreach and the work you're doing there in Bronzeville community? Yeah, absolutely. So our website, really complicated. It's newcommunityoutreach.org. There we that, go. That's my sarcasm. <laughs> I tried. Um, so, I mean, just simply that. And then on our social, we are at New Community Outreach. So we're on Instagram and Facebook. So, yeah. And if there's any other questions, you know, we love to be able to share about our work. So please reach out. Would love to have any other conversations. And again, like I said at the start, again, just so much appreciation and grateful for you both Mm -hmm. for creating this kind of space. I think without spaces like these, we can't have conversations and conversations are important so that we can be motivated and uh, mm. pushed forward in, well, in our like work. Like you said, so it's you a so community much. effort, right? It takes a community and we appreciate you being a part of this greater community that we're all, we're all connected with and being able to lead us through this conversation. So Sonia, it's awesome talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> wow. I, um, well, she was delightful, right? She was yeah. so, 
so grounded. I aspire to be like, have that energy, that very grounded, very centered energy. I mm. could be like, it's a good word for it, grounded. Running around, right? And trying to get it all in my mind organized. And she's just like a very thoughtful, very organized with the way in which she approaches her work. And I love and admire that just professionally as a woman. So there's mm. that. Sonia, thank you, inspiration. Mm. But then also, I really appreciated one of the things that I noted was her challenge, her bold challenge around if we can get this justice thing right, we don't have to run around worrying about equity and equality and what the two are and why they're different. And we got all these firms trying to help companies organize themselves around equity. She's like, if we can get the justice piece right. Yeah. Ironically, right? DEI, that buzzword of like diversity, equity, inclusion, like nah, like that's right. She's like, how about we just build systems in a way that all people flourish? Wouldn't Mm. that be something? Then we can just remove the rest of the noise. I love that. I love that. I'm doing some DEI work. I don't do it in real life, like professionally in real life. But I happen to be doing a contract right now that that is built around finding out if an organization is ready to do Mm. DEI work, ready to do it. And for our listeners, what that means is she does it every day. Every once in a while, someone actually like pays her for it. But you right. do it right. with every conversation that in no, which you right. move in the world. Right. And I did. That's that's true. And I definitely yeah. needed to reframe. I'm glad you said that. But <laughs> yeah, I don't go shop the wares. Right. I no. don't do that. But I'm no. constantly thinking about it through the frame an equity lens. Right. And yeah. so in particular work that not to get into the depths of it, but the challenge lies around equity. Like everyone wants to debate it and talk through it and say, maybe not this, but that let's just start with diversifying our workforce. And I'm just like, we got to start to get a little more. We've got to just be bolder in the way which we push this work and have more urgency around it. This idea of taking so much time and parsing words is just, it's like, it's frustrating. So Mm. What she said really resonated with me because of the work that I find myself in right now and wish we could just get to that. Because if we could just get to just a mutual understanding around justice, yeah, then they wouldn't need to hire me. We can just move on with life and we could just refocus that energy and resource around assuring that's happening. It's like how foundational that is where you could have a lot of busyness on the surface, but if it doesn't root back to these common terms and how we define them, then the ship might just be subtle degree difference of where it's going, but (laughs) wind up hundreds of miles away from each other. It's a really good, really good analogy. That's great. What about you? What stood out for you? Yeah, I, I guess I'm processing it from my own lived experience as I've peppered in some commentary throughout the interview where I feel like I'm sitting with this, maybe because of just when it's hitting in my own life, like as we're reemerging from a a, a traumatic year, I feel like I'm trying to check in with myself as I kind of sense where, what the future holds for my family, vocationally. There's just a lot of things that are up in the air. Future is just uncertain in a lot of ways. And so for me, I think I've been given the gift of like a little bit of margin. She mentioned this same thing for her journey, right? A little bit of white space, in her story to process. And I'm trying to do that self-check-in work. And I'm realizing, wait, I actually do, I don't do this really well. It's really hard for me to like look inward. It's really natural for me to just be busy trying to go around solving other people's problems. I think being a parent, you get that just like you kind of, that's thrust upon you and get into that mode where you realize, oh, if you're not careful, 
Yeah. You're actually not going to be a very good parent if you're not yeah. checking in with yourself because, you know, that thing you really didn't want to be from your parents, you're actually going to just be passing that down unless you break the cycle by really being attuned. Mm-hmm. And I guess self-awareness is what I'm saying. Like if we're going to, if our listeners, I'm kind of more so just making this as a confession, but if I'm going to be pursuing true justice for others, for my community, I've got to be self-aware enough to be willing to do the hardest work, maybe the hardest work of addressing my own trauma and my own past brokenness and that has is playing out in the present. I guess maybe that analogy of the bird. Yeah. I've got to think about the bird in that metaphor first for myself. Yeah, that's right. That's before true. I think about it for other people, my neighbor, my community, like systems, other things, like, cause, cause it's almost, it's easier, Jess, it's easier for me to talk about my community or other people and how they need to look back. They need to look back at the past and they need to be willing to admit their brokenness in the past. Well, am I willing to do that? Yeah. And I, I think that's, it's a humbling realization to say, man, it's so much easier to point out what's wrong with everybody else and every other system, but like, am I willing to do that work within the confines of my own heart and soul and mind and see how my past pain is playing out and realize, man, if I don't deal with that healthily, it's gonna limit my ability to love other people and to see, and just to almost be, like you said, grounded Mm -hmm. in ways that she felt so grounded in this conversation, because I feel like she was at peace with her own story. Yeah. And I think how oftentimes people who are drawn to this work maybe are not really have done that reconciling work within their own hearts and minds. And that's just going to limit you. And I think I'm just, I'm processing a lot of that for myself right now. It's all raw. I'm not sure how much of that made sense, but that's what I got. I love that. That was in real time. I feel like this was an important conversation. I think so. I'm like, man, this is levels. This is like us cheaper than therapy a little bit. Like not (laughs) give us a little tune up in between therapy sessions. That's what this is going to be for me. You need to send us a bell. Uh, probably should. Yeah. Sonia, thank you. Yeah, that was that was a gift. And I hope it has been for our listeners. And I know it will be. And so, man, this is good. Jess, thank you for going on this journey. Again, we just, we are wading in these deep waters, but this one felt different. It felt like this, she was giving us a gift. And I hope our listeners feel like it's like an invitation not to add another brick into our backpack, but almost like taking one out and saying, yes, this is hard work, but an invitation to really be like, more complete as people. Mm, Well said. I'm going to try and take her up on that invitation. I know you are. And I hope our listeners do too. On that note, that was a great way to end. Mm. Until next time, my friend. All right, friend. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to Just. In the spirit of sharing, if you like what you've heard, tell a friend about the show and give us a five-star rating and review. Many thanks to DJ P-Dog and producer Low Key for producing the music for our show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 